Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're doing our season one wrap up. We have a lot of feedback to cover. We want to talk a little bit about uh, where the future and perhaps the past of the Game of Thrones franchise is headed. Uh, and uh, a couple other things. Give our give our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our thoughts on what what's going to happen with House of the Dragon next season. I'm excited. What about you? I'm very excited. And this also, it turns out, it's not going to be our last wrap-up podcast. Uh, I'm going to be joining Kim Renfro to... Uh, we, we couldn't... She's, she's a busy, busy lady. We couldn't get her rope down in time to do this podcast. So I expanded her outline a bit, uh, fleshed out the conversation a little bit more, and uh, we'll be talking uh, the Wednesday after you hear this podcast, and it'll be out the following week. So we'll have one more wrap-up. It'll be me... And Kim Renfro of Insider and Cast of Kings fame. And we're going to be talking about our experiences co-hosting a show with one uh, with, with dumb, dumb co-hosts that don't read the books. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the impact of the prophecies uh-huh. on uh, on Hot D this season. And, uh, you know, one thing that the transition into the outline proper, one thing I want to ask him is like what. What do we think the odds are that the community will largely remain unspoiled? Um, I thought throughout Game of Thrones, for the most part, the community did very well when I talk about the book readers keeping things out of the community from being spoiled. And I felt like late in the run when there were some episode leaks, maybe that. But I don't think that was book readers to blame. And I just want to give a warning that a lot of people are going back and you know, missing Game of Thrones. Like, you probably haven't had the desire to go back and rewatch that, but, you know, clips are popping up on TikTok and on Twitter and Instagram, and you're like, God damn, I really like those first few seasons. Let me dip my toes back in. You need to know that there are significant House of the Dragon spoilers as early as season three, episode four. <laughs> okay. Like, when you get to a scene where Joffrey is detailing a whole bunch of Targaryen history as he's showing off a bunch of stuff in the Great Sept of Baelor, as they're, he's planning his uh, uh, wedding to Marjorie, and she's pretending to be completely enthralled, there's going to be huge House of the Dragon spoilers uh, for fates of several characters. Now, I will say that I think, from my lights, Joffrey got some of his history wrong, hmm. but still enough right that there's probably going to be a lot of disappointed people. So I, I, and that's what I'm getting at. Like, since this is a complete done deal and it only takes about 200 pages of reading to get like, I, I do worry that as the seasons go on, that it's going to be harder and harder to remain unsullied, you know, with all the, the stuff we do online. Um, having said that, like as a person who's got the whole thing spoiled, I had a ball covering this season. So I don't know that it's necessarily a detriment, 
but it has changed my guidance on whether people should read this book or not. I was telling people, unless you're just like burning to do it, I wouldn't. But now that I'm, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe I'll, my conversation with Kim will change my mind. I'm like, yeah, if you think that you might be interested in it, might as well, might as well. Cause then you can play mm-hmm. the who's right. Mushroom or while kind of game along with everybody else. Um, sure. What, what, what you got any thoughts on that, Jim? Uh, I don't think it's changed my it, mind. I don't. I don't plan on because you're off. You, you do stay off of all social media. It's considerably easier for you to stay unspoiled yeah. than your average person. Yeah, I run across very few spoilers. Um, I try and stay out of the channels of the 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 spoiler channels over in our Discord, uh, especially during the off season and leading into the new yeah. season. Um, so I don't see a lot of spoilers. Luckily for me. Um, but I imagine for most people that's not true. So I don't know, man. I I, I don't know how you li- how you thread the needle of that life, which is one of the various reasons that I'm don't really participate in social media much. Yeah. So I, if you, I, I did say that I would help people out um, and give some book uh, some page numbers. Now I'm talking about this is the first edition, uh, Fire and Blood release hard uh, hardbound book um so if you have any other release I, I i don't know that i can i can give you it the precise guidance but uh if you start on it starts on a basically page 344 which uh let me actually go to okay so you could start off uh there's a sub 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 chapters it's all divided and this is uh heirs of the dragon a question of succession uh, that starts just a couple of pages earlier than the one I just gave out. But yeah, if you start on there um, and we are approximately uh, page 391. So we've gone about just just under 40 pages uh, and we're at the dying of the dragons, the blacks and the greens, essentially. Um, so you're going to be pa- reading page uh, again if you're reading in a hard book about page 344 to 590, which is about 246 pages worth of reading. Um, but Not there's bad. honestly, if, if and if you're in for a pinch in for a pound, I, I yeah, go ahead and read all the Targaryen history up to there. It's only 200 pages, sure, you know, and there's a lot of fascinating stuff into there, uh, as well. So yeah, if you do want to follow along, hopefully, I'll give you a little bit of a guide. Um, and uh, you can find that those those chapter headings, uh, whether you're using a Kindle or, or anything. I thought, Jim, before we move on, we could talk about maybe some hopes and fears and just some stuff that I had um, as a person is covering the show, as a fan of the books, as a fan of the show. Sure. The first time, first thing I want to talk about is something I've gotten some feedback on, which is, uh, you know, people are like, oh, Aaron, we really missed a spoiler stuff where you're talking about in-depth theories and what's coming next. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, this year I made a conscious decision to not do any of that because honestly, I didn't think there'd be much of it. I, you know, it's like, well, I could just tell people what's going to probably happen next week or in the weeks to come, but that's kind <laughs> of dumb. I didn't think there'd be like real prophecies or, you know, but turns out I'm wrong. There's this whole magic knife. Uh, there is a whole, you know, Aegon being a dreamer uh, and getting these prophecies. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot more to kind of unpack. Helena uh, was was spitting prophecies and whatnot. I'm wondering how I might go ahead and I'm wondering if I, you know, I could talk with Maester Anthony and see if he wants to do something a little bit more formalized with the Maester's Corner, um, or, you know, or, or maybe try to transform that to something that's a little bit more, 
you know, deeper secrets of Westeros type of thing. I do because it's not like there was enough material for every week to have like a big old giant conversation. But yeah, yeah. I think we could have done there. There's there's a couple things we could have done a little bit more with. Um, you know, if Maester Anthony uh, can't do it because of whatever reason, I might pull a David Chin and just find some high profile YouTuber. Yeah, or, I'll shift X. Why not? Why not yeah. just get all chipped up there your podcast, and be like, right? you're the most popular YouTuber. <laughs> We're the most popular independent podcasters. Uh, can we do anything with that? And he'll probably say no. <laughs> and then I'll get the second <laughs> right? most notable YouTube. Yeah. So uh-huh. it'll, it'll be something like that. But I, I've, I've heard the feedback and, and I'm going to I'm going to try. I'm going to try to come up with something before next season. Cool. Um, I feel free to break in if any that you want to talk about. But yeah, the I've other one. OK, um, well, why don't you go? Uh, here's my, my worry. Um, and I've, I've got hopes and dreams and then things I want to see, but I'm going to talk about my worry first. We ran like a, we danced on a tenuous line between what was on the screen and what the creators kind of intended. And we're talking about mm-hmm. in the inside the episode segments. I'm, I'm really worried that they had some ideas about what was supposed to be uh, to make it to the screen that kind of didn't and it actually worked out for the best. And I'm worried that if Mm. they completely lined up their ideologies with what they showed us, that it might've been a worse season. I'm, I'm really scared that they're actually going to like fix that next season. If you know (laughs) what I mean? Like I I just, cause I found myself disagreeing with them in a lot of ways, but agreeing with what they actually put on screen and in, in enjoying what they put on screen more than the stuff that they said might have been kind of intended. Yeah, I so that's something that I've I've seen discussed a lot. Maybe I can try to assuage or a sausage your fears. Sure. I love sausage. Um, I so a lot of people point out that th- these are mostly done like there's a day, you know, that's like, oh, we're going to sit down with Emma Darcy and we're going to talk to them about their experience and they're going to be wearing their gown or costume and we're going to sit down for an hour and we're going to talk and then we're going to use snippets of that throughout the whole. It's not like at the end of every episode wrap they get everyone together. So there's sure. a lot of like kind of hazy, gauzy, uh, maybe things haven't even been filmed that they're talking about. It's just on mm-hmm. a punch list that they don't really know. The other thing is there might be some intentional stealth. You know, like there's a blade of armor that they're they're trying to mislead people to, you know, uh, come to false conclusions to preserve their own surprises for it. Because like some of the stuff they said was just stupid, I thought. Right, right. And I wonder how much of because like and blatantly um, wrong when you see the next episode, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Contradicted by things that happen uh-huh. on screen. It's like, you know, has Ryan Condal seen his own show? Surely. Right. So like <laughs> right. I, I, I wonder. Um, I, I, yeah. I wonder if that's a real thing. Like if they actually thought, oh, God, people misunderstood stuff. We're supposed to understand that Rainus just is a mommy and she saw another yeah. mommy and she just can't kill her. Like I don't we're supposed to understand the Damon just can't get it up he yeah, just can't he get just it has up. a long-standing yeah. erection problem that we've been very clear about throughout so like I don't know if it's like they're seeing the fan reactions like ah oh, shit we got to go make sure that they or it's it's misunderstandings or it's a little bit of stagecraft I yeah I 
Yeah. Because I'm I, I yeah, if 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 they are 100 percent honest about what we were supposed to get out of those after the episode interviews, I'm I'm a little nervous, too. I got to say, I, I mean, I've already fixed it by just not watching those things anymore. <laughs> That's my plan. But they fix it back by like, exactly. well, we just need to, I don't want yeah. them to fix it. I want them to leave it how it was because I thought that's that's my other my other hope for this thing is that they keep the quality of writing where it is because i've been extremely impressed by it um so i don't want yeah. them to go fix this perceived problem and then have it turn out in a worse script a worse show there's still lots of hot d to talk about we'll be back right after the break here's what's new in premium content for our club members this week, Jim's away, so the producer will play. That's right, it's time for another fabulous lunch with Talitha and Aaron. Not only do we have an alternate host lineup, we also are doing it on an alternate day. Lunch will be served on Wednesday. All that, plus the usual bullshit for me, served live or catch the podcast version out later that day. We're about a month out from the kickoff of Badass Fest 6, so get your tickets now while available at baldmove.com live. Come watch an outrageously badass mystery film with us. Grab another snack and beverage from the theater's fully stocked bar. Then get back in your seat for a live recording of the accompanying podcast. Get more info and tickets at baldmove.com live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad-free feeds. Now back to Hati. Yeah, I I agree. Um, one thing that I have a hope for is the rest of the audience to come back. You know, it seems like everyone yeah. was thrilled. I saw that Ryan Condal in several interviews mentioned that he was honestly surprised and delighted at how quickly the audience seemed to just re-engage with this material because he thought, you know, after, you know, people had feelings about how the old show developed and also he was couching as like, oh, I'm following this master act and I'm, you know, like I, whatever. Partially, uh, sure. But, you know, you look at stats and it's it's hard to do apples to apples. And I was looking at Wikipedia who was going, you know, all what was, was seemed to always compare essentially Sunday night returns to Sunday night returns. Um, sure. And it goes back to Game of Thrones. So like Game of Thrones started with 2.2 million people watching it and ended with 13.6 million. According to Hot D's statistics, you had 2.17 people watching it to begin with and it ended with 1.85 million. Now, HBO's internal statistics that they released suggested that 10 million people watched that first episode. And I think these are plus three from all sources type of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. from streaming and everything. Um, and that essentially the exact same amount of people watch the finale, which is rare. You usually start off and then you kind of lose audiences through the season and maybe you gain some, maybe you lose some in the off season. But through the season, you almost always lose. Mm-hmm. Kind of remarkable that everyone that sat down to watch Hot D essentially finished watching Hot D. But where is that? Because like, you know, HBO is also releasing numbers that just suggested 50 million people were watching season seven and up to 100 million people saw uh, within the first several days, the the finale of, of Game of Thrones, where the hell yeah. are those people at? Are they wait? Are, do you think that there will be a new re- Do you think that we'll have twice the audience next year because people will hear that, like, actually, Hot D is good. And I imagine on a binge, 
this is a real fucking barn burner. Oh, yeah. If you're a Game of Thrones fan and maybe some of the time jumps won't be as heinous. Um, although maybe watching it by yourself is a little bit lonelier because you're not going to have podcasts and everybody else explaining like the different time jumps and what's happening and there'll be bigger. Pro- what what do you, do you think that this is all we're going to get or do you think this is going to grow to be a juggernaut kind of like Game of Thrones? No, I, I expect it to get bigger. Um, like you said, I think there are a lot of people who sat out this season of Game of Thrones or sorry, House of the Dragon because of the way the Game of Thrones ended. Uh, and, and I think if they hear that it's actually excellent, uh, they'll be back. And I think that was the general opinion. I don't cer- Certainly from critics, it was. I think the audience had a uh, a little less tolerance for it, but you know, honestly, that was probably just fear. That was, that was people's worries that it would just run off the tracks somewhere uh, through the season, but it didn't, it stayed excellent throughout. So yeah, I expect people to return next season. Do you have yet another point you'd like to talk about? Uh, One of my hopes for next season. And I know this is supposed to be kind of a shorter uh, series, right? This won't be the, the eight season uh, journey that we got with Game of Thrones. So certainly, it, I, I could see this happening next season. They, they've set up a few rivalries, and I really, really enjoyed some of the rivalries they're setting up. I kind of want to see one of those pop off next season. I don't know if it'll be Damon and Aemond because that seems like the the big one that that could be stirring. Um, the Dragon but- Bowl D. Yeah, yeah, but maybe like a Kristen and Damon. I could see something like or Kristen and then uh, Sir uh, fuck Wellington. What's his name? <laughs> the, the Kingsguard <laughs> that quit. Oh, Eric. No, no. The one that quit. Uh, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Oh, Westerling. Westerling. Uh, Harold, yeah. Sir Westerling. Not Wellington. Uh, yeah. Maybe him and Kristen go at it. <laughs> I, I love could his see beef. That. <laughs> He's got big beef with Kristen. Yeah. He's got big beef. It's breaded. It's pastrified. Uh, mm-hmm. That's all kind of beef he's got. So I would love to yeah. see one of those play out. Since we're looking at maybe a three season run, I I could see that happening in season two. So I'll want to dovetail that with a fear of mine as a person who's read the story. I wonder how the community will handle a real civil war story where huge characters are going to necessarily have to die and be replaced and then their replacements mm. die too. <laughs> You know, like uh, there's this there's this uh, plot in uh, HBO's Band of Brothers. Uh, I think it's actually called the episodes called The Replacements, where you had the original guys who kind of like trained together and shipped that together has been through all this. And they're halfway through the war and half of them had died now. And when the replacement show, they don't even bother to learn their name Mm -hmm. because like, fuck you. You don't have any idea. You're probably going to be dead in a week anyway. So like, you know, wait, if you you can survive a month or two, then maybe we'll bother to learn your names. And I wonder if the community will be that way, too, if they'll get jaded, because I think even more so than like mid season Game of Thrones, which is what Condal is promising in some of these interviews, like the death toll is going to be just like every three weeks, someone major is going to die and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be someone, you know, like these are going to be, you know, people riding dragons are going to be at the forefront of the combat and they're going to have, if the show is going to remain true to the book and realistic, people are going to have to die. And I wonder as people's faves, as people's problematic faves, as the big villains die and have to be replaced, if like people will hang with the show or if like you're just going to like real war fatigue, like you're just going to have a broken Mm -hmm. heart and just like, yo, this show makes me feel miserable. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't consider that when I said, are, are a bunch of people going to come back and they might come back, but then they might leave again 
when their problematic fave dies. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, if Arya Stark dies, we riot. Well, right, what right. if what if there's a moment like that three times a year where it's like, well, uh-huh. if X, Y dies, if this guy, a person dies, if this lady dies, if it's like, well, what happens if all that and there's still a season and a half a show because of the way. Yeah, I, I do have a slight worry that people are. Yeah, because like the thing, Game of Thrones is like, oh, yeah, it kills us all your favorite characters. And it does. Mm hmm. But it also really slows its role, you know, for the for the vast part of the mid stretch, you know. Totally. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they you got Oberyn, the- and then it's a while. And then Oberyn was he's introduced in the season that killed him off. It's not like he was uh-huh. Sansa Stark or Jon Snow or anybody like that. So, like, I do wonder if people are going to be really prepared for the pace at which uh, this this war goes on or maybe the show has a way of slowing things down and making this a bit more of a slog which has also has its risks sure no that's interesting i think as long as it's uh these deaths are earned and feel like they were well considered uh i don't think people will be too upset or at least so upset that they leave the show i think as long as they kill their characters in cool and and uh, seemingly necessary ways because I, I just yeah. like so, some of the deaths you know are a, a death can be pointless and a death can be poorly written and poorly considered and that is what will upset me but it doesn't seem like they're headed that direction it doesn't because like you know Oberyn that's a good example because his death is kind of pointless and <laughs> you know dispiriting but it's extremely well written Oh, yeah. Like it's it's the exact kind of like kicking the nuts you kind of, I think, want from Game of Thrones. You know, the kind of thing that sure. like other shows are just not going to do to you. They're not going to hurt mm-hmm. you that much. <laughs> right. All right. You have another hope slash fear slash. Uh, not off the top of my head. No. All right. Uh, I've got a couple more. OK. Uh, a related point. The greens and black thing mm-hmm. really popped off this season. And before we even got to the real dirty fighting and I heard stories like we, you know, our community, I think, uh, you know, kudos to all of our uh, discord moderators, to all of our moderators and all the communities. Uh, I think they do a really good job. Uh, but I heard that like some things on like r slash a house of uh, the dragon got things got pugilistic. Things got flame war. Mm. People got banned. I do wonder if, uh, you know, they do. They do keep true to the pacing, to the death count, if it's just going to be untenable. Like, you know, that you don't have a united fan base of 10 million people. You have 7 million-ish blacks versus 3 million-ish greens, and they just stalk each other across social media, spewing (laughs) hatred and bile. Like, can't affect... But on the other hand, like, that's essentially all sporting type fandom rivalries and that shit is super popular so like maybe it will make it even more popular i've got a suggestion let's get ahead of this let's go to our discord and let's create a channel called the dragon pit and that is where you are allowed to sling your most vile insults your most personal attacks uh no holds barred in the dragon pit I feel like we've experimented with this in bald movie communities and it just always leaks out. You're like, oh, you know, well, let's have a no holds barred rules free, you know, the purge. Let's just mm-hmm. let's just have a channel that's called the purge and people just and it just know the purge inf- infects every every other channel. But yeah, um, you just make we'll the see. mods hard uh, job harder. That's no good. Yeah. 
Well, and that's like, so like, that's another, like, you know, in terms of pacing, that's another kind of hope slash fear that mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that as the story is going to necessarily expand to involve the rest of the realm, like we were really mm-hmm. laser like focused on uh, the Blackwater Bay, essentially King's Landing, Dragonstone, Driftmark. Mm-hmm. Now that there's a civil war and banner is going to be called, there's going to involve the rest of the realm. And I love how this entire first series was essentially centralized on these women characters um, and, and getting to know them and their motivation. I think it's going to make everything work. But it did come at the expense of even meeting important characters, important parties like the Starks, the Aarons. Mm, yeah. And I wonder... You know, like, like, what's the community going to think if we have a whole first episode in season two that's like the realm reacts and we just go around and visit the high towers, getting their ravens in Old Town, and then maybe we meet uh, the youngest of Alicent and Viserys's kids, Darren, finally, because he's supposed to be in in, in Old Town. Uh, you go to the Vale, you check on Jane and uh, Arryn and the Eerie. You know, Damon mm-hmm. was going to see her about contesting his claim to his runestone versus his first wife he murdered. That was mentioned, but we never see it happen on camera. Like, what does she think of all this? Check in on the Riverlands. Maybe we just follow Jace. This first That's episode thinking, is going to be yeah. Jace just going along completely blissfully unaware of his brother's travails uh, with the Baratheons and and, Aem- and, and Aemon. But uh Mm-hmm. They got to do something to establish all these fine balances of power and loyalties and treacheries. Because otherwise, if like, you know, a great house just joins a battle at the last minute, it's going to seem like, you know, the writers are just selecting, you know, Deus Ex Machina. Oh, this, you know, the Aaron's rode in with this huge host. Like, where the fuck? Why would they? It yeah. could all make sense. But like, you got to establish, you got to stay one step. But you got to establish and display things you will need. Mm-hmm. So you can tell their stories, and they haven't done any of that yet. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's the reverse Chekhov stuff, right? Like if yeah. you show the gun in Act One, it's got to go off in Act Three. Well, if something's going to happen in Act Three, you got to set it up in Act One. So right, right, or it's going to seem unearned. So I think that they can do it, and I think uh, you know, spending some time in this first few episodes. You had this big bang moment, um, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Exploring Jaceris and his quest to get his mother's bannermen and together. And then maybe an episode or two of that um, to prime. Mm-hmm. It. And also, you know, that's the other thing is I keep hoping that they do not cling to their credit sequence and they go more to like a painted table type of map situation because I think people are going to need it. And it seems like people are, are thirsty for it. Yeah, I think it was universally uh, the opinion that the intro was not very good for this show. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully they take that to heart. So I think I also have some random observations I saw from different Ryan. I read like five different Ryan Condell interviews the last few days. Um, Here's one from the New York Times. Uh, Condell essentially Mia culpated for the lighting on some of the episodes, particularly mm. episode seven. Everyone talks oh, about yeah. and he you didn't throw anyone under the bus. And he's like, you know, you never know how things are going to be compressed and different people's televisions and stuff. But he's like, bottom line is obviously this missed a mark and we're going to look at it as we go forward in season. So hopefully. <sighs> but it's like. Hopefully they'll get it fixed. But again, this was a big complaint uh, with the same director in the old series, too. <laughs> Just don't shoot day for night. Come on, people. Or you can do it. It's There's ways to do it, but you just you can't you can't half ass it. Yeah. Um, 
he had a Times interview in the London Times where he said that he recognized that uh, there wasn't enough humor potentially in this season hmm. because, you know, they don't, hey, we don't have Tyrion mm-hmm. and we don't have Peter Dinklage playing him. And that was such, you know, that was such a nexus of the humor. Uh, but they're looking for in, uh, to introduce a quote natural pathways into moments of levity in the drama. And he says, I don't have Peter Dinklage, but I do have Matt Smith. He says, I think Matt Smith is very funny. If there's one character that does not care, it's Damon. And that was a lot of the humor. Like, I just like Ooh. seeing Damon react to shit. But he's so angry right now. He's so angry. He is very angry right I, now. He doesn't seem like a very funny man in this moment, but maybe that will change. But, uh... I mean, that's the thing is like this guy was managed to be hilarious beating to death a mess- messenger. Like, I still think one of the top five Damon moments is the way he kind of like with a flourish grabbed that message and opened it and just just with like 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 he's ra- he's he's Ray Fines in Grand Budapest Hotel. And he goes from that to just savagely beating this dude to death at the helmet. I don't, I don't know. I think that's that's funny. Um, So in in Entertainment Weekly. They interviewed Germ and Sapochnik, not Sapochnik, I'm sorry, uh, Ryan Condal separately. And Germ was very adamant about this story needs four seasons of 10 full episodes to get the story told in the way that he thinks it needs to be told. And I thought it was interesting that Condal immediately was careful to not commit to that and says, well, you know, I need to break season two to see kind of what I think the final shape of the season is. And I honestly, my eyebrow raised a little bit at four seasons. I thought three seasons when I was looking at this and kind of breaking down the moments and stuff. I was thinking three. I wouldn't be horrified for four, especially since they spent 10 episodes going over 40 ish odd pages out of the, you know, 240, 250 they're going to need to get through. But like, if they continue to do that, but I don't know because like there aren't any you know that's the other thing is there's no more time jumps they established that in this uh, entertainment weekly episode that uh, going forward that things are going to mainly happen in real time that seems i I don't know i am a little worried that germ and condal are not 100 percent seeing eye to eye on how long this thing should be Hmm. Uh, yeah it's it's especially interesting given that you know condal's the showrunner and he's out of a job when the show ends martin is not right he's got 400 other spinoffs and and novels he can write um you would think that condal would want to be preserving this for as long as reasonably possible uh maybe he just doesn't want to commit what he knows is like eight years of his life to this thing because four seasons doesn't mean four years anymore right when we're talking about okay it's not going to release for a year and a half uh, after yeah. the last one came out, you're talking about eight, yeah. potentially 10 years of your life on four seasons of television. Yeah. Um, so maybe he just doesn't want to commit to that chunk of his life, but I would think he would have a lot of uh, reasons to want to continue the show as long as possible. Cause he's yeah, going to be although- one of the biggest showrunners on the planet while it's on. He also in one of these interviews, I can't remember which one because I didn't write this down, but he, you know, he floated the idea of an an anthology where you could Uh go back and go look at the original conquest with Aegon the Conqueror. You could go forward to the Blackfire Rebellion. Yeah. So maybe he's just eager to get to those stories. And and, like there's as many like 
and and that's like one commitment at a time. It's like, okay, do I want to do two, three more years of this? Okay, well then I'll do the black fire, the first black fire rebellion, or I'll do and and like I can get at it any time, but like also I can extend this almost indefinitely as long as there's an appetite mm-hmm. and as long as people are not. I mean, HBO is going to have a real problem in their hands when people get get tired of scheming for thrones, incest, and dragons because because <laughs> all their shows are that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just like if you like if you know like guess what the Blackfire Rebellion's about? Mm-hmm. It's about certain Targaryens thinking they should be the ones on the throne and these other Targaryens are not. Guess what? Succession the, uh, is about. Guess what yeah, guess, well, industry sure. or whatever it's called is about. Yeah. So it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff is, as you mentioned, it's classic soap opera stuff. It's classic Mad Men stuff. There's I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's human drama. But like this particular flavor, will people not get tired of mm-hmm. people with dragons thinking they should be the ones that rule and then conquering and, and bending to their will with fire and blood to people that don't, you know, like if, if that ever gets dull. Uh, then they might have a problem yeah. there, but not if not. There's like just endless fascinations and details and varieties of these uh, events. So, and if it does get dull, I could do with a few more spaceships in my soap operas. So, yeah, True. give me some sci-fi stuff. What do you think about? Are we? I want to revisit. Uh, we found out mid-season that Sapochnik is no longer going to be a part of the season uh, of season two going forward. That mm-hmm. he is bowing out as fellow showrunner, and they brought on Alan Taylor, who is not going to be a showrunner. He is joining as a writer, executive producer, but it's going to be Condal uh, calling the shots uh, going forward. Uh, how on scale one to ten? How nervous does that make you? Uh, not very. Um, I, I always saw Sapochnik as more the directorial side of the the production, right. even though now he's a, a showrunner, co-showrunner. And one third of the episodes he directed could not be seen by the average person <laughs> with the average sure. TV set up. So, <laughs> yeah, I but I, I feel like whatever needed to be transferred from the Game of Thrones, you know, Bible has been transferred at this yeah. point. Um, and Condal yeah. is up to speed on that stuff and whatever Sapochnik could have brought to him, he's contributed already. And yeah. I'm sure he would have more to contribute in the future if he chose to stay, but he hasn't. And so it doesn't make me super nervous. Um, now, if season two falters, I will start to look at this and say, oh, is this because this might be Sapochnik left? Yeah. Is this an effect of it? And I'll be worried about season three. But yeah. so far, so good. I'm I'm not super worried about anything here, honestly. <laughs> I think I think they've done a great job so far and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt next season. Yeah, I'm not too I'm like a two out of ten, maybe a one out of five worried because there is that possibility. But like when I was reading these, um, I felt a growing confidence, unlike when I was looking at uh, the guys over on the T-Rop side of things where it's like I read them and like they literally don't know what the fuck they're doing. And they have no they have they literally cannot cite relevant industry experience where Condal Mm -hmm. is talking about like. Well, you know, I had this one pilot, uh, this one pilot series that I, I shot and produced for NBC, and it's this weird sci-fi western. And I learned this and that from that experience. And then, of course, I had Colony, and you know, that actually got the series. We had several seasons, and you know, but I also had some frustrations here. And that it's like this guy was actually saying, like, this is how I leveled up as a showrunner and I had this budget and then I had this budget and I had this material and then I had this material and now I've got this like it feels like a clear progression in a way that inspired confidence of like okay this guy has actually worked his way up to something this high profile where mm-hmm. I was like Ryan Condal who before because I'd never seen Colony and I'd certainly never seen this weird sci-fi western <laughs> 
thing that he was talking yeah. about, which sounded really fucking cool. Um, I saw some of Colony. Uh, did you? And I thought it was it was pretty good. I didn't stick with it. Um, I it know it was co- co-created by yeah. Carlton Cuse, who was one of the co lost dudes. Uh, yeah. yeah, co-writers and and producers, and I think showrunners on Lost, uh-huh. along with Lindelof. So yeah, I've I've liked his work in the past. I think he's worked with people who get it, who know how to run a show. Uh, say yeah. what you will about the ending of Lost, right? I, I, I don't think that's a problem right. here because they have a direction. It's in the books. Yes. Uh, it's already yes. written. So, yeah, I'm 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 very happy with what they did this season, and I have a lot of faith in them to knock it out of the park, even without Sapochnik next year. Yeah. And I do, like, I, I do think Sapochnik brings a little bit something extra to the action. Like, I think the mm. pilot of this season works a lot because of Sapochnik has that gift of filming, and he was able to... You know, make that analogy, you know, bring that analogy to the birthing bed sequences, too. And they're equally kind of given drama and weight. And I kind of but like also before season six of Game of Thrones, like who the hell was Miguel Sapochnik? Like before the Battle of the Bastards, like he kind of between hard home and that kind of launched like, oh, this is the guy you want on game. Mm -hmm. So who is the next Miguel Sapochnik that we're making? You know, that uh, we we had a a lot of talented directors that we saw uh, this season and it doesn't seem like a real weakness on the show. So, yeah, I'm I'm very minimally worried about uh, him leaving and I think it's going to be fine. I think that's about it for kind of my hopes and fears. I yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm over the moon. I was so anxious about how this would be seen and received. And I felt a little bit better after I'd seen the pilot episode. And then a month later, I was gratified to see more or less everyone kind of agreed with my take, which is like, yeah, this is a really strong, uh, confident first step. And now that I've seen the whole season, like I'm not saying there's zero missteps, but even the ones that I disagreed with. Once I saw the whole series, like, you know, you know, we talked about mm-hmm. Rainus busting out of the dragon pit like that made sense. Like there's very mm-hmm. few things when I look back, it's like, you know what? That just felt wrong. Yeah. Um, And, I, you know, there's one, like I said, I'm not I'm still not sure about the prophecy and whether it added more or took more away. But that's that's what I got a conversation with Kim coming up uh, next week. So, yeah, I think that'll do it for for my thoughts. Um, do you want to get to what the people had to say and talk about? Oh, oh, actually, do you want to round up the that's one thing we forgot to almost forgot to do. Do you want to round up the uh, the spinoffs? Yeah. That they're working on? Yeah, we have a lot of stuff in the works. Um, I You know, the, the thing that strikes me after looking into all these spinoffs um is just how slow this process is. And I am, we talked about this on the most recent Walking Dead podcast, I think, where they are doing 10 different spinoffs for the Walking Dead show. Uh, it's in, all in go, 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 go. And it yeah. is just like green light, green light, green light. You, you got a pitch, let's let's make it. Let's turn it into, let's let's give it a six episode run uh, with a with a green light to light season two up if if we even sniff success there. This is a much different operation. They are taking their sweet time. They are making sure that the quality of the content they are creating is high and they're willing to, to cut things if they're not. And I, that's a real hallmark of a company that cares about, well, a, a, their bottom line, it's going to in the long term produce much better results for their wallets, but B cares about what their fans think about the property, not just spitting stuff out there to cash in while there's cash to be had. Um, and, and so I looked into it and there is at least six spinoffs right now that are in various stages of pre-production. 
uh, and or, you know, production. Uh, obviously, House of the Dragon was one of those that just right. recently came out. We don't know exactly when we'll get season two, but we expect it not to be till 2024. Um, so that leaves a big gap in in there, about a year and a half or so, that we could say, well, is are they going to fit something else in, right? And I think the right. thing that's closest to fruition here is this Snow Project, which is a Jon Snow spinoff. Uh, it is a sequel to Game of Thrones, so it'd be happening after the events of, of that series. It, it was pitched by Kit Harington a while ago, um, and they've been they they've been in pre production on on some stuff, but they've written several different versions of scripts and they've been polishing them up. I think there's a third draft out there that Martin was talking about having gotten, um, but they've just ordered a pilot, right? They they haven't like said, okay, this is definitely going to series or anything. So it's not very likely actually that Snow's going to be coming out before House of the Dragon season two. That's the thing when you said it's the furthest me. along in development. That's because like, people are talking like, oh, we might actually get two Game of Thrones shows in 2024. Because like that's the other thing is if you're looking for this to come back know. in 2023, no one, Condal no. Germ, everyone's saying there's no fucking way. We'd love to, but there's just no way. Yeah. Um. As far as I can tell, yeah, this John So is like it. The thing it's got going for it is Kit Harrington really, really wants to do it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think hot for do, they, do they have a showrunner attached to this? They've got a lot to of by now, did. but there's not a lot of information out there about right. any of these series. Um, yeah, there's essentially like George Martin has said, yes, that's in the works and he can't say any more about it. Yeah. And there's a lot like I and I, I there's a lot that I think you could say about this series like they could soft reboot the ending of game of thrones by essentially like uh-huh. you thought you had the white walkers contained but that was just the vanguard or that was just this one faction and now sure there's it could be that like you know that's one of the reasons this prophecy is such a big deal is they're going to read this is going to be woven throughout the entire spin like the one thing that holds everything together is this fucking valerian steel knife and this prophecy about the 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 stuff that's going to happen north of the wall. So like, and I and I'm I'm yeah. kind of excited to see if they can do something like that with, of course, Martin's blessing. You know, at least in like the mainline Valerian, uh, you know, and and then over in Westeros kind of stuff, they could do that. But right. there are a lot of spinoffs that that won't really be possible for. Like the, the, another spinoff is the Sea Snake, which is going to be a show about Corlys's. I guess nine great voyages is a thing. The nine voyages, yeah, is what they're calling calling this. Yeah. Um, so it was originally titled Nine Voyages. I think they've officially changed the working title to Sea the Sea Snake. Oh, um, really? Okay. It, which I'm glad because the Nine Voyages was a little too Sinbad-y for my taste. <laughs> I, right. Right. I don't know. Not a fan. Um, but this probably won't have anything to do with the the Targaryen prophecies and the Blade, right? I you, I don't because so. First of all, who the fuck knows? Because all we know about mm-hmm. this is this guy sailed uh, the furthest anyone in Westeros has ever been. He goes all the YT or YT, which is uh, the analog of China. Yeah. Uh, he goes further west than anybody's ever been. Uh, you know, what's west of Westeros? Corliss might be one of the few men that know. But like it's very it's just like this is just why he's such an awesome character they don't actually go into detail about all the things it's like he got fabulously powerful and wealthy and he's the best so like they have a blank slate this could be a fun kind of x-files 
mystery monster adventure mm-hmm. of the week or season like you know just pirate king for hire kind of but yeah if he is going over to explore the doom of old valeria and he is investigating yeah, the mysteries of the find East, blades he could sure because that's the thing is like uh according to martin like us uh this is kind of like a mono myth along the 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 the, the Along the lines of like a global flood in human history that okay. like there is enough cultures that talk about this thing that, you know, maybe there is something that catastrophic to happen in, in mankind's ancient history. Mm-hmm. And the the long night is the same thing. So whether you go to YT or whether you go to, you know, uh, Essos and explore the remnants of old Valeria, like all the peoples of Middle Earth kind of had this experience and. So they could definitely. Well, I'm. I'm. This is this is my long worded, long winded way of saying definitely they could get into the prophecies if they wanted to. Okay, and obviously that one would be set, you know, sometime in Corliss's lifetime. So anywhere between like zero yeah. and forty years before the events of House of the Dragon. I think you go with young, like you know, you could get uh-huh. like a, a hot young guy to be Corliss. You could get a hot young gal to be, you know, because uh Rainus is in the world and she is a dynamic figure, you know. Uh sure. Uh she's a dragon writer. Like you could involve you could talk about how they met and their rom like the, yeah, I mean there's a lot of hooks. I I'm mm-hmm. pretty excited for them to 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 see what they come up with at this. Yeah, that, however, is less far along than even the snow show, which means it's probably not coming out for several years. They do have Brian Heller attached, who is the co-creator of HBO's Rome, which I've seen nice. most of the first season. And I really I had to stop mm-hmm. watching it because the fucking call of bald move always brings me back to the present. But yeah. like <laughs> I that was a show. With that show. Right, and it's it. You can see the DNA of Game of Thrones; like it would translate 100%. effortlessly. So, like that is a great, great person to have at the helm of the show. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, there's another one called Ten Thousand Ships, which is um, the story of the immigration of the Roinar to Dorne, uh, and this is you know the, at the hands of Queen Nymeria, right, leading them out because I think the yeah the Valerians were were invading. Is that right? The the the, the yeah Roinar lands the, the, and so they the, had the to Roinar flee. refusing to essentially bending the knee to uh, the 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 Valerian Empire and the Valerians like decided to just wipe them off the map. Yeah, and so they go over and settle in Dorne, and this is this is the story of that um, developed yeah, by that, Amanda Siegel. That that Rhaenyra tore out of the history book and gave to Alicent. That was about Queen uh, or Princess Nymeria, and she's this. Very legendary figure. Arya named her dire wolf after. She's the patron saint for all little girls in Westeros that want to be uh, a badass warrior queen. Uh, she's she's the yeah. the template, the blueprint, and the model. Nice. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there is, uh, I, I guess, there's perhaps a screenplay floating around somewhere. Uh, but again, not very far along in the, the Who'd you say was attached process. to this? Amanda Siegel, who's done... Things like Person of Interest, she wrote uh, oh, yeah. some, some episodes a, for that. And Jonathan was a Nolan. Producer, co-executive right? producer. What, was, yep. Wasn't that a Jonathan? Yeah, okay. So um, She's done that. She's done some other television, a lot of television production. Um, so she probably knows her stuff. Yeah, uh, nothing, nothing I've seen, though. I, I haven't seen any of the shows that she's worked on, but they are fairly popular shows. Like yeah. I said, Person yeah. of Interest, oh, The Good Wife. Yeah. We constantly get oh right that's uh those, those are two shows we constantly got recommendations to watch mm-hmm. especially in connect uh the person of interest connection 
with with uh, Westworld, which doesn't look like we're going to get any more Westworld. We haven't. We we'll have to wait for the the, the critic screenings and the the winter to confirm. But like, it's not great that they haven't renewed that show yet. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but little Westworld uh, in your your Game of Thrones coverage here. Yeah, and then another spinoff, which I think you're going to be excited about, is the Duncan Egg spinoff. Not not Duncan Egg, Dunk and. Egg. I always think this is Duncan Egg. Uh huh. When uh-huh. I hear the name pronounced, <laughs> Sir Duncan Egg. <laughs> yes. Uh, but this is essentially set ninety or so years before Game of Thrones, where Sir Duncan the Tall and Aegon the Fifth, uh, colloquially known as Egg, roam the countryside doing chivalrous deeds. I I, I don't yeah, have it's... much more information than that. They, this feels like a, a deed of the week type of thing. Yeah, there kind of there's a the, I I came across this. They collected the three short stories that Martin had written. He I guess he plans for 12 and he's written three and he was kind of rolling on them. And then he got so much grief for ignoring winds of winter that he said that he was going to kind of yeah. swear off a Dunkin egg until he gets <laughs> winds done. And now we don't get anything. So. But he's also said he doesn't want the show to surpass oh. him. He wants to finish these these short stories before. And he might, because like, you're right. This is just literally, you've got this hedge knight, Sir Duncan the Tall, who's this essentially seven foot tall, simple, not simple minded, but he's certainly not like a great thinker, but he's got a strong moral code and he just kind of tries to do what right. And there's, there's a lot of interesting hints that like this guy might be an ancestor of Brienne of Tarth, mm. you know, cause he's just this giant of a man. Sure. Um, and you got egg who's like, you know, the, the open secret of the books is that this, there's this little, um, you know, avatar looking kid, this bald, bald headed kid that follows him around, uh, named egg. You later find out that he is, uh, one Classic. of the heirs, egg on in hiding. Classic you know, Targaryen kind of, move. Shave the head. Yep. Shave the head. You can't have that silver <laughs> hair giving you away. Um, and it's, it's, they're, they're, they're cute stories. They're, they're, um, they're interesting. There's some there's one that's kind of got some spooky stuff in it. And yeah, it's very much like, yeah, quest of the week, quest of the season type and anthology uh, unto itself. And the, the thing that like Martin might be able to do this because these seem to be pretty fun. And all of the things these are all told in the margins of bigger stories that he's kind of already written. You know, mm, he knows okay why egg is in hiding he knows what happens to egg eventually mm-hmm. uh you know the reign of like he, he's got all that stuff uh there's there's whole this whole tragedy at summer hall plot line that i think ties into there there's there's a lot of interesting hooks to the main series and i think this would be a lot of fun nice yeah i, I could see it being fun um and it doesn't have to be I wouldn't be worried about, you know, Martin saying, well, he wants to make sure he's finished all these, but he's got competing interest with the novels for Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about that because this could be eight years from now, right? I mean, this this series might not come out. This might be a phase four kind of Marvel thing where you just, you're planning, okay, we got stories we want to tell, but not for a long time. We've got five other spinoffs. Yeah. Maybe this will be the last one and he'll finish all of those by then. But yeah. Who knows? Uh, there's also an animated drama that I don't even think has a name yet. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not even sure what it's about. Uh, it's just an animated series somewhere in the Game of Thrones universe. 
And it's almost like the way it's written in all the write-ups is like HBO is like, you know, this is an expensive fucking show. You know what's cheap animation. Let's just sure. do we can do we can animate some dragons, right? People won't bitch about the dire wolf budget if we just animate everything, right? But like, here's my dirty little secret. I'm not as interested in adult animation. And I don't know why I yeah, should be. Same I've, here. I've, I've 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 liked some dark anime series. I've liked some adult animation. I do like the kind of family anime, but I don't know why I don't take it as seriously as I do live action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least I'm open in my bias. You know, I'm not gonna like try to snow you. I'm just like <laughs> not like I don't watch any of this animated Star Wars stuff. I just don't. I don't. Never watched anim- I've never watched the animated Star Trek series, even though I've heard that's pretty fantastic. I just. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a personal fault of mine. I just don't take it as seriously, and it's not fair. Yeah, yeah, but like you said, you you admit it. You're upfront about it, um, and so people can weigh our opinions on this with a grain of salt. I, I I don't have any information on it, and therefore I'm not interested in it. If they can give mm-hmm. me some details, maybe I'll be interested in it at some point. But yeah, yeah, I'm we'll not see. against watching it. I'm just saying that it's not the thing that I'm I'm most excited for by any stretch. Are you excited? For the Golden Empire series. Oh, I haven't is, heard of this one. So this one, it might take place over in, how did you pronounce it? Y-T-E-T? It's, I always thought it was E-T or, or E-T, but it's I think it's actually Y-T. Y-T, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so th- this one there is very little information about other than it's, yeah. you know, the, the nation is based on Imperial China. It's on the opposite side of the map from Westeros, a very mysterious place. That's kind of it. Apparently, this could be super cringy unless they get a a hell of a lot of uh, East Asian people like in the writing and, you know, pre-production. And yeah, it could get pretty cringy. Yeah, it's possible. Um I don't know. They, they, Martin says they've got a great young writer developing the series, but he doesn't say who. Um, <laughs> but he does think the art and animation is going to be beautiful. Now, his I don't bastard know if... son <laughs> that he's, sure. kept in the, he's kept in the wings. Sharpened his teeth up. <laughs> and he's ready. He's ready to bite into that script. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take a bite of Hollywood with those sharp teeth. Uh, I, I don't know if this is an animated series or what he said. Uh, Martin said, I think the art and animation is just going to be beautiful. So it's possible. Oh, this maybe is an this is thing. the, this is one of the animated angles that they're taking. Yeah. I've seen it written up as two separate things, but it could be one of two animated series that they've been working on. Oh, you can only tell the far Eastern empires of game of Thrones through anime. See mm-hmm. what I mean? Cringy. Right. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation about what uh, went on over in YT. So, see, I, in in my research in these, I also came across a flea bottom concept. Oh. Did well, you heard, hear this? I, I think that one was scrapped. Am I wrong about that? Uh, this is this is the one that I found. This was like written in late September, so I thought it was the most current it's from okay. Screen Rant. But it's Could also right. just very much like. Well, it's known for its poverty and crime, but it's also the, you know, how people like Davos Seaworth and Gendry get their start. Uh, Mm -hmm. But also, like, I just I just don't know. Call it Bastard Bottoms. I I don't know what the pores and the crime ridden of King's Landing looks like in kind of what is this? Some kind of David Simon. Yeah, the wire of 
right game of thrones sure right you know police overreach and gold cloak brutality and Just cutting off cocks and it, it, yeah the endless mm-hmm. yeah the endless uh self-perpetuating cycles of cock cutting and <laughs> yeah i don't know but we'll the thing is is like i doubt all of these see the the light of day yes uh they certainly are not going to see all the light of day at the same time or at least i hope not because i do think i do think you can you can fuck around and, and overexpose this but uh yeah well shit man we've got almost a full hour without uh-huh. even getting into the people's feedback do you want to get into this yeah let's do it all right again uh hot d at baldmove.com is how you get uh email into us i will say that we are probably going to be going away for uh, a long while um but if you want to send stuff in if you see news uh on the off season you want us to talk about or something that a burning question that you'd like to get a, res- a resolution to before season two We'll be coming back every 10 to 12 weeks or so. I don't know if they'll, we'll do that the first cycle because we just got done with Hot D. But like we will be coming back from time to time and taking the microphone back from Anthony as he takes a break uh, from his chapter by chapter discourse of a Clash of Kings. So like, yeah, send that stuff in. I will be checking the email before we do an update to see if there's anything worth talking about or, or some questions that people have got. So, yeah, uh, it's it's not going to go completely dead in the off season. But uh, let's get uh, let's get all the uh, season one business out of the way. Uh, Melanie says, I just want to give Hadi the props they deserve for having a confidence to show the four childbirths and not feel the need to overcompensate with gratuitous sex scenes. People may not like watching the birthing scenes, but they have narratives and thematic value. Uh, and they're supposed to be hard to watch. I was originally amused by the sex position and weird sex scenes of Game of Thrones, but it quickly got old for me. It's like they thought people would stop watching if they didn't hit their naked whore slash orgy quota for the season. I found the sex in this show to be relevant to the plot and young Rhaenyra was allowed to discover her sexuality and grow up without being raped or tortured. That's nice. Nice for young woman in Westeros. Contrasting with Allison's lame, dutiful sex with Viserys, who is medium old and gross at the time. (laughs) But a clear thematic purpose. Um, I'm a big lore whore, so I've read Fire and Blood, The World of Ice and Fire, etc. But Hathi managed to exceed my wildest expectations and is gen- have genuinely shocking moments that made me connect with the characters in a way I could never have from the source material. I never imagined I would actually l- really like Alicent and be able to relate to both her and Rhaenyra. I sincerely hope they continue this pattern as both of our queens are going to be out for blood in season two. Um, I got a couple emails along these lines and that was one thing I was little medium worried about going out of the pilot is like, boy, there is the return of sex position. Like, hmm. do you remember that first episode? How like dudes are in mid thrust, like listening to Damon give a proclamation mm-hmm. or all of flea bottom is watching Damon fail to arrive with Missaria. Like, it's like, Oh man, there's like four, four big sex scenes uh, where people are talking, but that, that was kind of a first episode thing. It was. I don't know. I, I don't have as much problem with that stuff. I think. Look, I don't either. You're. You're. You can overdo it. You're HBO. You've got the ability to do this stuff. It's one of the few places that uh, is willing to do it. So do it. I. I don't have a huge problem with it. But you're right. I do also very much appreciate the stuff that is done for a reason. Um, and I think Game of Thrones did that uh, occasionally. It wasn't all just like. Oh, Littlefinger works in a brothel and he's going to have these t- two employees banging in the background while he's giving a speech that that was pretty yeah. useless. But then but then you get stuff like the the, the truly horrible and gratuitous stuff uh, that happened with like Joffrey and Rosalind. And I'm like, well, 
that's horrifying. Uh, but that's actually for a purpose too. So, you know, Game of Thrones did it occasionally for, for good meaning, but yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I agree. I'm glad they were doing some things right there. I think that I'm with you. I'm not offended by it, but like I do think some of the earlier they, they realize, but I, I also think that the reason they did that in season one is because they just didn't write enough material and they had to go back and essentially deliver these long monologues and they were worried mm, that people would get yeah. bored. So it's like, you know what, instead of just the monologue, let's have Littlefinger doing it while there's two women having sex with each other. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's something we can say uh, now looking at the double D's body of work together. They're a little cringe. They're not not cringe. Sometimes. I think, uh, yeah. you know, they 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 they, they, they were not um, the, not above appear appearing or appealing to people's more base instincts at times. So there's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now back to hot D. Uh, Duncan is back or is is here to say I can't remember which one of you said that Eamon not killing Luke was a little disappointing because it took away some of his badassery but I disagree I think the story purposely makes a lot of parallels to Eamon and Damon first and most obvious their names yep you got you nailed them there <laughs> you also got their appearance the way they wear their hair the way uh-huh. Eamon tries to portray himself as a bloodthirsty badass hell even riding a cool ass dragon but the conflict of Luke shows all these things in common uh, are also different. Eamon's an impulsive adolescent. Uh, he's a neglected second son who feels less important than his brother and sister and has to act out to show he has grit. Whereas Damon, although he you know started off as all those things, is that now a battle-tested warrior, the rogue prince with the dragon that he rides and wins wars with. He's the top cop of the city. He basks in the blood lust as the city watches figured criminals. Not to mention Damon has clearly a stronger connection with his dragon and uh, that the bargain liquid snake does not have. Eamon is a hollow imitation of Damon, and I believe in their conflict to come, which has been foreshadowed, is going to be a noticeable difference. Either Damon not taking his opponent seriously in a fight, uh, or a switch where Eamon will flip where he becomes Damon, a.k.a. our new problematic fave. Do you think that there's a chance that Damon's going to underestimate Eamon? Or that Eamon will level up after this accidental slaying of his nephew and become the badass that Damon already is. I think yeah what you saw with him and Kristen in the tournament earlier on was him kind of underestimating somebody um, or overestimating himself maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could see him doing that again for sure. Or letting his emotions get in the way. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, I think he could be baited. It'd be interesting it's to see him pretty do easy that. to bait Eamon as well. I mean, all you got to do is put a pig in front of him. He loses his damn mind. Yeah. Uh, Carter says, with the seemingly large differences in reception between Hot D and Season 8 of Game of Thrones, what do you think about the series serving as a soft reboot of the franchise? There's plenty of minor differences that could be ascribed to the 200-year time difference, but they also could serve to set up a new world more in line with the books. The extra swords surrounding the throne, more fantastical armor sets, the more distinct-looking dragons, to name just a few. My long shot is after, or my long shot wish rather, is after they finish the dance series, they do a shorter show about Robert's rebellion. Hell, you could even get Elrond to play young Ned again. After that, 
Uh, they're mentioning that uh, Elrond for the T-Rop series is the young Ned that we saw in all the brand-enabled flashbacks through the Tower Joy mm-hmm. sequences, all that. Yeah. After that, they can let the age cast or the cast age up for five to ten years while they make whatever prequels they want to do. Then bring back the cast to reprise their roles in a new reboot. Boy, this is the dream of rebooting Game of Thrones. I don't um, like it. I've never liked this idea. I don't like the idea of trying to retcon Game of Thrones by by refilming a season seven and eight or even just but a he's season talking about eight. just I, doing it, starting it all over. I know. And like, I, man. Yeah, I, I don't I don't like any of that. I look, you made your bed, fucking lie in it and try and do what you can to repair your audience's faith in you going forward. Don't don't worry about this granted colossal misstep. Just just do what you can to make great television going forward. Even if it's uh, let's say another decade's gone past and Martin above all odds before he dies. Uh, long, long live the king. Uh, he gets out both dr- wins and dream. Sure. And everyone thinks it's amazing. It's like, oh, my God, this is the this is the series we really want out of Game of Thrones. You're telling me you wouldn't get on for like them redoing season six, seven and eight. With the completely, they wouldn't have Maisie Williams. They'd have to get a completely new cat. They, they wouldn't have Kit right. Harrington, perhaps. They'd have to get a whole new cast. But like, I don't know. I mean, it, I would okay. Be down here's for the thing: that. Would I watch it? Yes, of course. Would I mm. feel good about like the state of the Game of Thrones universe having to reboot half of a series with new actors? And and like, how am I supposed to watch that? How am I supposed to watch that if I'm if I'm new to the Game of Thrones universe? Do I come in, I watch seasons one through five of Game of Thrones, and then I stop watching and I go with an all new cast and try and figure out who's who and watch season six, seven and eight in a reboot form? Or do I watch it all, realize how shitty the ending of Game of Thrones was, and then come back and watch three seasons of a reboot with new actors? I I, I just think it's a mess. It's a mess if you try and do that. And it's not going to it's not going to fix anything. The stain of Game of Thrones will still be there. Like, if it's essential, I guess, to telling the stories that you want to tell in spinoffs, I I guess go ahead and do it. But I don't know why you couldn't just tell those stories. Uh, Like, is is the ending? Martin's already said the the ending is going to be roughly the same, right? With with Bran on the throne and all this stuff. So like, very roughly, this final shape. Yeah, yeah. So, So you don't absolutely need to go change it. You'd just be a admitting there was a huge fucking flaw in the end of Game of Thrones. And be confusing the issue as to what people should watch going forward with your other shows. I don't think it's worth doing. I like how Michael Crichton did it in like when because he he retconned uh, Ian Malcolm. Sure. uh, Dying in the first Jurassic World with like, oh, there was a lot of confused reports, you know, like dinosaurs invaded, you know, rampaging this island. And there's a lot of early (laughs) reports. It's easier to do when you didn't see it. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I guess. But I, I was like, it's so we, we've been talking about anime and animation a lot. This has happened, I think, two or three times I can think of in anime. The one that I just jumps to my mind is uh, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Like that started mm-hmm. with the uh, the manga having a good head start over the series. Uh, it caught up and they just, just like, fuck, what do we do? They came up with they kind of made up an ending for the anime. And then they rebooted as uh, once the manga had completed, they rebooted it as the uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and just did the whole like this is actually what really happened. Um, so you can do I, I I can't think of any times in like, 
you know, real life uh, or what do you call that? Live action. Uh, live action cinema where it's happened. But like, I wouldn't be mad. Or I always talk about in the, the Jon Snow sequel, if they just have the world be the way it should be. And then John, like, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, maybe you could start off with having like a bard singing the story of what actually happened. And, uh, you know, Jon Snow is hearing it at a bar or a tavern, you know, in, in Moletown or whatever. And he's guy kind of makes a wry observation like that's not how I heard it told or And it says lets people know that like we're not going to reboot everything, but you just need to understand that this is how thing, you know, like Bran is the king and maybe Danny's still alive and this other people are still like. But and, and this is how I don't know. I, I, I'm just saying that, like. I'm not I wouldn't I hate I fucking hate season eight with so much fucking passion <laughs> that like I would be willing it's to bad. swallow a river shit of shit to wash that taste out of my mouth. So like I'm willing to spin. I agree. Most of the time I would think that's a fucked up franchise has to do that. But it is what it is. It is what I, it I, is. I at say this let point. it be what it is. It's already that. Mm. I, 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 what do you do with the old series? Do, do you say. Do you, do you leave it up for people to watch? Game of Thrones you, Legends. So you rebranded as Game of Thrones Legends. I mean, if you're going to do the one, entire series over, sure, I, I no, guess. I, but I, no I, one would have the patience for that, right? I don't want a one-to-one with different actors for the first five seasons. Man, I, I so I, like, yeah, no, I, I think that you leave. Se- I, I think season one through four are pretty unimpeachable uh-huh. and pretty much the same for season five. Pretty much the Mostly. same for season six. Uh, uh, the yeah. wheels definitely start coming off when you get to Dorn in season five and some yep. of the other like the Arya shit. I don't think they did a really good job with her faceless man training. And then the wheels really come off in season seven and, and, and eight. But mm-hmm. like, I think uh, I would be like maybe reboot season seven and eight, maybe redo Arya's story storyline. But I don't even but, think that's necessary. How do- how do you deliver? I, I mean, make sure she doesn't fall in the river of shit with her guts splayed open. But right, right. other than that, yeah. Um, it, so what do you do with the the already existing seasons seven and eight? Do you leave them up for people to watch? Yes. Or, or do you take them down and replace them with season seven and eight? And how do you convey that information to a, a viewer who's like, oh, I'm going to check out Game of Thrones. And they watch through the first six seasons. Now, what do you want them to do? That's that's a good I don't I don't know how you do it in HBO Max interface. That, right? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like, but like I wonder how... if you could call like a Game of Thrones feast for crows and that's the new series that's going to start at the series point of series seven. And, you know, it's kind of a fun play on words. It's feast of crows is where, you know, things start to get a little fucko in the narrative. Uh uh, on, on the series it's also a, like crows or, you know a lot of people were calling themselves crows and ravens and whatnot you know but black brothers that kind of stuff after it's like it's like this is a feast for crows if you are a die hard <laughs> game of thrones fan this is and you can ignore it if you i, I don't know i yeah this is it's a problem I feel stupid i feel stupid talking this through but like i it's something i would be interested in well because... I, I, i'm trying to just like put myself in in a meeting at HBO, or I guess at Discovery now, um, and say, like, what are we doing with this franchise? Do yeah. we want to try and correct the mistakes of the past or just live with those and move on? And I say move on. Like, yeah, that's the more attractive option. And I think so. Aunt, and if we if, if it wasn't for the Jon Snow sequel, I w- don't think we'd even talk because none of the other stuff has yeah, anything yeah. to do. Like, it's all stuff that ha- takes place before. 
Um, you know, they can definitely embellish things like this prophecy and have new things to think about. But like, yeah, I, and I just it's think just stirring like, up shit too, right? It's like we've made this mistake. Do we really want to present that mistake in its full? Uh, <laughs> just completely bear it to our audience and admit to it because HBO has never really admitted like. This yeah, was a like terrible this was a season of television. And, and, yeah, yeah, they were an always open like secret, another great but, episode of Game of Thrones all the way up till the very end. So, yeah, even Condal, when he's like, you know, I was nervous about coming back to Game of Thrones. It was all about living up to the legend. It wasn't like, <laughs> oh, they shat right. the bed and I had to steam clean the sheets and I had to refurbish the. No, yeah, um, it's a good point. But I'm saying like in a year in a, in a world where. This Targaryen anthology has gotten a couple of seasons and we've got maybe a Dunkin' Egg thing that spun off and it's been 10 years hence and everyone is like on an all time Game of Thrones high and crucially Martin finishes the fucking books because if <laughs> he's he got, got to like you, you cannot that. you cannot reshoot this stuff unless I and I again I don't support nope. a full series reboot but like some kind of limited edition series I think would be cool and the other thing is like I think that like you can't do a better job by and large doing the Harry Potter st- series than what you did with, uh, you know, Radcliffe and uh, Watson and all those mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mur- Murdoch. Uh, I don't think you could do a better job, but I'm morally certain in my lifetime, someone will do it because there's money. Yeah, there's yeah. money. They'll reboot that. So like they will probably reboot Harry Potter and do the whole thing with just like you said, different, even though that's the most pointless thing I can possibly fucking (laughs) think of. Right. So like, why not Game of Thrones in 10 years? If if Martin is leal and and gets all this book stuff done. Mm hmm. Okay, uh, Billy says, I have some feedback for the feedback people want to know if they can read A Song of Ice and Fire without being spoiled for House of the Dragon. He says, it's in fact possible to skip the parts you don't want to read when you see a conversation veering towards Targaryen history or a block of text retelling some historical story. Just turn forward a few pages. We have read 99.9% of the books and missed essentially nothing. You can even go to the whole next chapter, which always feels great to make it to the next chapter. The books are amazing and spoiling the show would really suck. Luckily, we can turn pages and circumvent this issue. Please spread the word. <sighs> Boy, I I want to say, yes, that's true. But also, like, you can't control your eyes that way, man. Like, <laughs> it'd be one uh-huh. thing if it's like Tolkien, where it's like I said, hey, just skip all the songs. Oh, how do I know if it's a song? Anytime you see a couple pages of italics, just skip it. And you're, you'll be fine. Like. I yeah like where and if you're reading a Kindle and you're just kind of like next page next page next page and like you're you know the next paragraph is a spoiler I don't know I as a podcaster who reads feedback I just have a different relationship with spoilers like when I can see something awesome unspoiled it's always a treat but like it doesn't seem to detract from my enjoyment. And then the other thing is like a spoiler only can really fuck with your first time watching something. Mm-hmm. Presumably when you like stuff, you watch it more than once and you get yeah. new things out of it. So like, I just, I don't know. Like you, you, if you're super precious about spoilers, then you really need to stop. You need to not read the books. You need to not revisit the show. And if you are a little bit open-minded to like, well, you know what? Spoilers might not ruin the whole fucking thing. And I'm, I'm not going to be butthurt. I'm not going to allow myself to be victimized by spoilers. Then, then yeah. But like, I can't in good conscience tell people who are afraid of spoilers. Yeah, just read the books. Just, just tell your eyes to skip over this thing when they start talking about Rhaenyra. Sure. You know? Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm I the type of guy that the doctor always like every time they give me a shot, I always look at the needle. Uh, some people don't. I like to look at the needle. Oh, so I, I don't think right. I have a very good ability to discipline my eyes. Uh, Mara says, thank you for sharing the feedback and portrayal of miscarriage in birth in the house of the dragon. I myself have suffered both a miscarriage and the death of my daughter at two months old. Oh. But yet in favor of how birth and uh, childbirth has been shown on the 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 the, the series. I want to share a resource with your listeners who are in similar situations to hopefully help with the loneliness that you've alluded to. Because we talked about, like, you know, what a lonely situation that must be. Mm. I joined a support group called Healing Embrace that meets via Zoom. It's for anyone who has suffered a miscarriage or has had a death of a child under the age of one. It's completely secular and respectful of all beliefs, the old gods and the new, as well as free. Um I want to pass this along because I'd not heard of this. So this is the collectiveforhope.org. Uh, the program that you want to select because they do grief support in general, but they also have mm-hmm. one called Healing Embrace. And if you're in their front page, you'll you'll see that prominently advertised. And there's a link to it in their programs. The CollectiveForHope.org and it's particularly uh, the Healing Embrace. They support pregnancy loss, infant loss, grief support along those lines. So if you are one of those lonely people, uh, whether you're a dad or a mom. Uh, however you want to describe yourself, if you experience that type of loss, um, they can help. And I, and I will vouch like I've never gone, you know, I've never gone through this. I've never gone through this uh, to a support group like this. But I will vouch for how helpful support groups can be when you are dealing with something where you feel like, oh, I'm the only one that's ever felt this way. I'm the only one that can understand this. Like that's just when you're talking about a planet of almost eight billion people. That's never true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can take that lonely feeling to a communal feeling and it just that automatically helps so much. So once again, collective for hope, the collective for hope dot org and check out the healing embrace. And I really appreciate Mara for uh, making that resource available to people or telling us about it. Uh, Kevin P has some logistical questions. Uh, and particularly seems fascinated by the state of the battlefield. He says the Lannisters are on team green, but since they're located at the West and Westeros, how long would the Lannister fleet take to sail South from Casterly rock around Dorne and back up the narrow sea to defend King's landing from the Valerian <laughs> fleets blockade in the gullet Lannister fleet. I mean, you can't defend it. You're going to have to break through the blockade just to get to King's landing. Yeah. And he says, wouldn't they repelled by Corliss's new garrisons yeah. at the Stepstones? Hell, wouldn't they go up against greater defenses at Driftmark and Dragonstone? Yes. Like, yeah, they're screwed. If you, if you hold up your left hand and you make like a C shape, like a claw, like a crab claw shape. Mm-hmm. You remember all those fortresses I was talking about, like Duskendale and, and uh, uh, Claw Point and all that stuff? These are rimming around that claw on the north and south shore. And if you look at your index finger and your thumb and imagine... There's two islands set right in the middle there. That's Driftmark and that's Dragonstone, which is currently has the largest fleet. You mm-hmm. know, the, the house mm-hmm. of the largest fleet in Westeros is on uh, based out of Driftmark. Uh, the, the, the seat of black powers on Dragonstone right smack in the middle of there. And you're suggesting that they're going to f- go all the way from the, the western shores of Westeros, sail around the you know summer seas, work their way again across the Stepstones, which are fully garrisoned and manned by black forces, and then force their way into that crab claw with the largest fleet blockading with, with numerous dragons patrolling a stretch of water that's like 20, 40 miles across. I would want to do it. 
Yeah. I wouldn't, I'm not saying that you can't because there's, you know, you there's there's all kinds of stories where greater naval powers have been overcome by lesser naval powers. You can never forget the treachery of the sea. Think mm, about how that yeah. has influenced, you know, uh, like how Britain got to be a world power. It was when the Spanish got smashed at sea. Uh, the the, the uh-huh. typhoon. Uh, the, the, there's I forget what happened in Japanese and Chinese history where I think China was trying to invade Japan or Japan was trying to invade China and a typhoon came and fucked everything. You just never know. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying if I was if I was uh, Thailand Lannister, I would not be anticipating trying to crack this particular nut. No, not 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 at all. I, I do wonder how many forces are garrisoned down at the Stepstones. Um, how fortified that is. If the Lannister fleet could take that, if a lot of the Valerian fleet was tied up in mm. Blackwater or near Blackwater Bay. Uh, well, that might be interesting. Also, the Essos. You know, there's always uh, uh, allies. You know, uh, clearly uh-huh. the the there's that triarchy that was you know probably smarting over their loss to uh, Corlys and the Stepstones. Like they might make allies, and what does that look like if a, a green Essos alliance? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying like you said this isn't obviously a done deal, but like it's just showing you the stakes of like how do you how do you break this blockade? How do you free King's Landing? Yeah. Um, and, you know, as far as he, he also asked, like, you know, how does King supply be, you know, uh, King's Landing look being supplied from the uh, the land? Mm-hmm. Number one, if you got 14 dragons dive bombing your shit, that's tough. And also just this is the infrastructure there. If if 80 percent of what King's Landing needs goes through the ocean, you cannot just reroute that over land. You know, there's not like rail systems and logistics mm-hmm. companies are just ready to do that shit. You know, there's like, is a, yeah. So I, I, I think King's Landing is going to be in its, uh, some some rough times ahead, but uh, we'll see. Jacob emails this and and wondered why didn't Vizzy T just call another Grand Council to choose between his daughter and his brother? A few more Grand Councils, maybe we'd be down the road to proto democracy. Hey yo. That was one of my big theories. I was really hoping Danny would break the wheel by doing some kind of like Magna Carter style representational democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's it's not going to be like something you'd recognize out of textbooks, but it's a step in that direction. And this is, yeah, like the ground Grand Council is essentially a little bit of a democratic resolution to a matter of succession. And like, why not just keep doing that, man? <laughs> I mean, what were the, uh, I guess the options were just Aegon and, they, but they weren't at the time. Like, that, that's the thing. Like, at the time it was Damon. Well, I think he's right? joking of like, when the king dies, oh, okay. instead of it, just, gotcha. just do a grand council. Just do a grand council. All right, here's the thing. Here's the people. We could have kings or queens. What say you, lords and ladies? Well, uh-huh. more realistically, lords. And then, you know, a f- couple hundred years of that, you can then start asking the ladies. And a couple years, hundred years after that, you can start asking the small folk. Uh huh. And then, 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 where will we be? Most of the um, way, it's democracy. Craig says a question for Aaron. I heard from one of the showrunners that the book's point of view leans slightly towards green, and it's clear that show leans towards the blacks. Do you think this is a conscious choice by the show to overbalance this point of view, or something that's happened naturally? I don't know because, like. When I'm reading Fire and Blood, I definitely feel like these and maybe it's because these characters are so thin um, and so just broadly painted. But I thought 
a pox on both of their houses. And I was just read. I had some people that I liked and I thought were cool. Um, and I was like more attracted to the personalities than to the cause. Um, and I, I think what I, I'm surprised to hear the one, the showrunners mentioned that because like to me, what, what they've done is they've fleshed out and they try to humanize everyone. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, if the overwhelming, like the, the, if the show is kind of like leaning towards team black, then I guess so be it. But like, I, I, I never felt like the books were pro green, uh, and that the, sh- and, and the, but the show is definitely pro black. Um, so if far. I'm being objective yep. about it so far. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I do wonder if they'll ever recover from that because there's some people that just like, well, you know, they weren't justified or they were justified. And no mm. matter what comes after, it's always about what came before. I mean, this is how, yeah, a lot of this, this is, is how generational struggles happen in real life, you know? Yeah. No, they're gonna have a hard time overcoming. Well, if Otto just had been less of a shit, uh, yeah. If they, that, I guess that's another yeah. fear of mine for next season is that they try and reverse course too much and make try and make me sympathize so much with the Greens that it just falls apart for me because I really don't see a path to that because I view it as an original sin problem. Like mm. Otto is the original sin, his lust for power. That's it. The story's over well there's also room that like we hated the lannisters in game of thrones Mm -hmm. we really hated jamie lannister in season one absolutely yeah pushing kids out the window he's fucking his sister yeah trying trying to kill ned stark for telling the truth Uh you know um killing his whole household staff like it there's a lot of but we love we really like Tyrion. we always like Tyrion, and we came to really love jamie Mm-hmm. Until he lost his fucking mind at the end. So, like, there's room to hate the greens, but say this particular green is all right. This guy's trying to yeah. thread the needle between his honor and what he's being asked to do and what's good of the realm. Like, there'll always be, and I think that's where we can get back to Game of Thrones, where there won't be uh, wholly ambiguously good sides and wholly ambiguous bad sides. I don't think we even had that because, like, you know, Damon's a maniac. He's oh, yeah. cool and I like him, but like, yeah, he's a fuck. He does some despicable shit. He's done a lot of despicable shit this year. <laughs> and um, Rhaenyra is kind of oblivious to the the threat that her uh, rise to power presents to the realm. I, I think that was true for a long time. And on the other I, side, they've done a great job right. making me sympathize with Alicent. Yes. Uh, for the most part, like she's trying to thread that needle between friendship and fear and I think yeah. they're doing a great job telling that. But I think from all the interviews I read, Condal and Martin both know where you're at and how that people's emotions are feeling and that they are all also saying that, like, where however you feel now, are you going to feel that way after the end of season two, after the end of season three, at the end of season four? Mm-hmm. Like, where where will you be at? And I think that it's it's very impo- very possible that. You know, you might start off like, yeah, Team Black is awesome. But like, what if if they go too far in a revenge path? Like, what point will you be sickened by their need for revenge? And at what point will you be sympathetic? And then will the Greens take that too far? It's like, I I think that they're I'm. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm curious about, like how how people are going to hang with this. Uh, Michael B has an opinion while I agree sending her sons negotiates to my Rhaenyra here is a risky move uh, I thought she was hesitant uh, and they asked so she reluctantly did it but wouldn't she have been under the assumption that they had a day to respond to Otto's terms and they should have at least a day of safety since the war hadn't started yet 
Probably. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is a really good point. Like, she thinks that she's being shielded by this 24 hours of opinion. And like, yeah, maybe Otto and Allison are out there trying to rally their banners. But the idea that her younger son would be attacked and viciously savaged by <laughs> Eamon on his large dragon. Clearly, it's not even sure. something Eamon fully thought through. So, like, uh-huh. yeah, I, I thought that it's I, I always thought it was a it was a calculated risk because do you think Vagar is really out there when she should be? I mean, that's. If you want to analyze the other side, that's a foolhardy risk to send Vagar mm-hmm. away in those first 24 hours before you've gotten some kind of like deal. <laughs> so stupid, it just might work, right? <laughs> that's the idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think that's a good that, that she thinks that she's got, you know, essentially that these are just being sent under the mess, you know, the banner of being a messenger, being an envoy, and they're going to have absolute protection, which they pretty much were. Eamon just fucked up. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike says we saw mid-season that Vagar breathed some fire at Caraxes and both Caraxes and Damon flew through it just fine with the upcoming dragon battles. Is this relevant or something we should remember when they start breathing fire at one another or is it nothing worth remembering? I really don't know. They've confused me on this point. Well, I'll suggest there's a difference between a uh, a dragon breathing a big ball of fire that hangs in the air for a few seconds and then someone flies through it versus the full blast dragon fire. Sure. You know, that we've seen instantly turn a man to cinder. Mm-hmm. So like how far like, again, and I'm a dragon fire truther and that like, I, and I mean like, I don't believe it. I'm not a conspiracy. Like I think that Targaryens can and do die from fire all the fucking time. Okay. Um, and this is playing with the idea of what, of Targaryens thinking they're fireproof. Mm hmm. And having experiences where it's like, you know, hey, one time when I was 13, I burned a brush fire with some gasoline and fuel oil. And I felt a little bit like Damon Targaryen, like, holy fuck, I must be fireproof because there's this. I just got engulfed in fire for a, for a second there and I'm OK. <laughs> My eyebrows are singed. But let me tell you, I am not fireproof. I've since learned. So like. Yeah. I think that like sometimes the Targaryens go looking like, you know, if the Sirius is like, look how long I can hold my handle on this candle before it hurts too bad. I must be a fucking true, true blood. Of the Targaryen, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Like they do shit like that because that's their legend and they're self-consciously trying to live up to that. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Um, we'll see. So, yeah. And also like the dragon, like, like it, it, it's entirely possible that dragon's fire is not its best weapon against a dragon. You saw Vagar, she didn't breathe fire at this. She just fucking chomp chomped. Mm-hmm. They have giant ass claws. They have giant ass teeth. They have huge ass jaws. They can just rip and tear. So that's a problem. And I don't think tar- Targaryens are resistant to rip and tearing. So yeah, they have a lot of opportunity to clarify this issue coming up. And I expect yeah. them to. Ernest says when Vagar killed Luke and Arax in the last episode, I couldn't shake the thought of the possibility she might be killing one of her own kids or grandkids in Arax. I'm not sure the lineage of the dragons, but is it possible that Arax is a descendant of Vagar? Aren't all the dragons in the book or show descendants of the three dragons that came over to Westeros with Aegon and his sisters? Could it be that this show is not only a civil war in which one human family uh, is fighting, but also a civil war amongst a family of dragons? I know kinslaying is not uncommon in the animal kingdom, but aren't dragons and fantasy supposed to be smarter than regular animals? Uh, I know I might be stretching it a bit with the show theory, but I think it's cool that we're seeing a dragon civil war here as well, even if the writers are not intending us to see it this way. 
You got any insight in that as a non-book reader, Jim, before I... I feel like that would be possible. Um, I just have a hard time imagining how they'll convey to me that these dragons are part of a family and, and convey that family tree to where I know, shit, the uncle just right. bit the the nephew in half. Right. Yeah, I don't know it's how they tough, do that. because like... You know, you're going to have these scenes like I, this is I always think of it in terms of like subtitled dragon scenes. Where it's like you are a dragon, a second born dragon of no great lineage. I uh-huh. am the son. I am the grandsire of Bellarion. The dra-. like and they're just all talking these monster voices. And but but directly answer your question, I, I think, yeah. And, and also the Targaryens had more than just the three dragons. They had a few more. But but yeah, whatever subset of dragons they came over with from old Valeria is the stock that all dragons come from. And one thing I've always been in the back of my mind is like, you know, people like did the Targaryens forget how to raise dragons. Did the maesters get all butthurt because their science was being threatened by these magical beings and they poisoned and gave the Targaryens bad advice. I keep him in the dragon pit. I've always thought it's like, well, maybe they just got fucking inbred. Mm-hmm. Like we saw what happened to Tar- Targaryens after you run, you know, you, you no longer have all of old Valeria to intermarry. You've got like one single branch of the family tree. Things got mentally imbalanced. Things got physically imbalanced. People started getting born with gross deformities and whatnot. And like, are we not sure that the stunting of the dragon was just them being too inbred for their own good? Yeah, could be. Because there's not a lot of fresh blood blow, uh, uh, flowing on that side either, you know. Um, they seem like, you know, so we've got 14 on one side, four on the other with some dread. Like, you can't get a stable population from 20 adult individuals, can you? No, I wouldn't think so. I don't um, know how it works in the reptile world, the dragon world, but probably yeah. not. Maybe that's all right. But like, yeah, you'd have to probably be. And and the, the, but also directly answer your question. The books don't go into detail about the dragon's lineage. You mentioned that there are clutches from certain dragons, but you have no idea who the father is. You have no idea if they're reproducing sexually or asexually. Um, there's just a lot we still don't know about this stuff. So, hell, we didn't, I didn't even know that dragons were born in these steamy little sacks until I saw it on, mm-hmm. on screen. I didn't know what a dragon clutch looked like. So, lots of stuff to discover. Uh, Rachel... Uh, regarding feedback about Alicent and Rhaenyra being portrayed as less evil than Otto and Damon. Uh, she says, I think this analysis is unfair because they're all in different points in life. When we meet Otto and Damon as grown men. Damon is immature, but he's effectively grown. We meet Alicent and Rhaenyra as girls led to believe their lives are part of a bigger picture. Things they were told by the men that they loved and trusted. It's natural to want to compare them to Cersei, but that's also unfair because we met her also as an adult already making moves. Season one ends up both wake, uh, walking on a slippery slope, uh, so to speak. Otto and the gang were perfectly happy to leave Allison at the starting line, despite her husband and baby daddies dying hours ago and her acknowledgement of Rhaenyra as the heir at the family dinner. No one hesitated to disregard and undermine her. Rhaenyra's father has died. She's ascending, losing her baby and crying for help all at once. The heir to the throne is miscarrying another potential heir, and it's too intense for the menfolk. Fuck their feelings and their discomfort. Get with her and make an interim succession plan. Not a surprise C-section for her precarious health. Once immediate defense plans are in place, Damon and the boys should have urgently stood vigil for her as a court would have done for a king. Her eldest sons have her back, but aren't counsel or battle ready. Now we leave them as grown women, realizing the bigger picture was always someone else's chessboard. I predict Allison had six months before Otto married her off to a respectable house. 
uh, like Tywin planned for Cersei. And Rhaenyra would have been Viserys 2.0, consulted for feasts, tourneys, and managing Daemon. But now they're adults like Cersei when we meet her. Cersei, who came of age among Tywin, Baelish, and Varys. She learned the great game from them and turned into a fucking monster. Their evil has not yet begun, and I'm already looking forward to them fucking shit up in season two. Uh, I mean, I agree with all this, but the thing is, I, the, what I got from this story is like you mentioned that like we already meet Cersei as a fully formed adult. But what we know of Cersei from the books is that, you know, she's a, just a product of her maniacal fucking up from Tywin and his emphasis on dynasty and losing his wife over the birth of Tyrion. Like this family is dysfunctional as fuck. And if we had, you know, grew up with Cersei the way we grew up with Alicent and Rhaenyra, we might feel different about her as a character, you know? Mm -hmm. Potentially. So like, yeah, this is all true. And that's one of the things I think the showrunners, like people are like, Oh, made fun of the uh, idea that Matt, Smith and uh, Reese Iphens never really aged in the roles, but I've I, everything I've read so that was an intention by the showrunner to show to really emphasize the youth of these women that they're going to physically change because they're not yet adults. Where the men who have been kind of running their lives are kind of unchangeable because they were, you know, they they were fully grown. So they're accentuating mm-hmm. the youth and inexperience of the women and how they're kind of like manipulated by the men. So. I think you're right, but like I also think that like everyone's got a story of how their upbringing kind of fucked them up in, in Game of Thrones. So oh yeah, we if we knew more about the the youth of these people, um, and that's something that's it could be exciting. Like if they ever explore Robert's rebellion, like going back and seeing, you know, Robert and Ned as young men, and uh, you know Cersei as a young girl who's kind of like all Twitter pated about the idea of marrying Robert Baratheon, and um, I think that would be interesting. Yeah, I think I think the thing it did in this series is turn this into more of a tragedy for these women. Yes, because uh, I did not feel that about Cersei. I feel that about Alicent and Rhaenyra, um, and I'm really appreciating that that difference because you could sort of see Alicent in a similar light to a Cersei. Uh, at this point, if you didn't have all that context from her childhood and and how she was changed by the people around her and the events of her life. Raymond says, one thing I'd love to hear your opinion on is Helena's dreaming, or rather your take on other characters' perception of her dreaming. I love how several of her prophecies have come true already, but one thing remains oddly unclear to me. Are the other characters in the House of the Dragon even aware of her prophetic accuracy? Is Helena herself? You're about to fight a civil war, and one of the central players on your side has proven to have precognitive abilities. It sure seems like that's something you'd want to pay attention to. But so far, it seems as though Alicent is the only person who's even heard her prophecies, and she seemingly brushed them off. I halfway wonder if Helena herself is scarcely aware of her dreaming. Perhaps it's a little like idle humming. She just sort of babbles out loud every now and then, and her premonitions are as mysterious and inscrutable to her as they are to everyone else. What do you make of this? Is dreaming typically taken seriously by those in a Targaryen family? What does the realm in general think of it? We know a few famous Targaryens who took dreaming seriously. Viserys, now Aegon the Conqueror, the father of Daenys the Dreamer, who first moved to the family of Dragonstone, but are they quirky exceptions rather than to the rule? So... Helena being a dreamer and prof- prophesying is a show only creation. So you're just as 
uh, capable of commenting as this as me. What do you What do you think about greens? Do greens know that they're sitting on a gold mine here? I don't think so. I they got I, a magic eight ball. No, I think they look at her and they see someone who's mentally damaged and write her off entirely. Yeah, um, and even to a degree, degree, her mom does that. And I think Helena herself. I think she's aware that the things she's seeing, the voices she's hearing, whatever, however these prophecies come to her, that these events are coming true. I just think she's unable or unwilling to communicate that to anyone. Um, Because you can see her like at the, the ceremony, right? She repeats the beast beneath the boards as if she knows this is the moment that that's going to happen. And then she watches it happen. And I think, she knows that that is a fulfillment of the thing she saw, the vision. Yeah. But she makes no effort to communicate that to anyone. So she, she, and I can't tell. She, she seems to be on somewhere on the like autism spectrum, mm-hmm. um, based on the way they're She's portraying certainly her. Not a neurotypical, you'd say. Right, right. And so, and it's seen as such by her brothers, like Aegon's, like, yeah, uh-huh. she's just always babbling crazy shit, you know? Right, right. But none of them take the time or the attention to figure out what she's trying to say and seeing if events apply the things she's saying apply to events in real life. And I guess why would they, right? If you just want to write this person off. Well, it's also a proud. You're not going to invest the time. It's a proud Martin tradition. Like uh, in the main canon of the Song of Ice and Fire sequence, there's this fool named Patchface. That's the, the court jester of Stannis Baratheon. And he hangs around the Shireen. He's got this jigsaw puzzle tattooed on his face, and his backstory is he survived a shipwreck and uh, through that experience became kind of a simple-minded person. He's just always kind of like babbling and singing songs to himself, but several fans have noticed that like all of his songs, as the story progresses, seems like they're having these fulfillments. You know, they're hinting mm-hmm. to the like the Red Wedding, and, and there's all, all sorts of other different hints about the others and whatnot. But no one knows because Patchface is a fool. He's a simple-minded fool. Why would you ever pay attention to the shit he says, much less right. write it down and try to figure it out? And I think they never really played with that much in the – well, at all in the the main series. It'd mm-hmm. be cool to kind of bring a Patchface-like character where it's this tragic person who sees all these fates unfolding, but no one takes her serious because the prophecy is like – yeah, you saw that brand. The more br- – weirwoody brand got the more weird and detached humanity he got mm-hmm. so they might suggest that like if you are intently plugged into this kind of pipeline it changes you you yeah. are no longer like able to relate to humans the way a baseline person could because it just kind of fucks you up mm-hmm I think that'd be cool. But yeah, I, I concur with you. I don't think any of the greens I, I wonder if someone more perceptive like Alicent or Otto will make a note of this the beast you know and and like start using that as like an oracle but I again since none of that stuff is in the books I'm going to I'm going to guess that no that there that's just always going to be this kind of tragic foreknowledge that doesn't really help her it just makes everything she goes through that much worse there's still lots of hot D to talk about we'll be back right after the break And now back to Hati. Yeah, I would expect if anybody was going to take note and and make the connections, it'd be a maester. But boy, they don't have any maesters around that are main character enough 
yeah to, to make that realization and development so yeah and maesters mm. are not the type that kind of concern themselves with magic and prophecy they kind of poo poo it in in this world you know yeah sure um I was just thinking they they are the most observant and most concerned with the the yes. goings-ons uh, of stuff, but you might be right. I think it's a really reductive look at science, too. Like, if there was real-life magic, guess who would be studying it? Guess who the magicians would be? Fucking yeah. scientists. <laughs> right. You know? Like, the idea that maesters are like, you know what? We don't like this shit that we can't figure out. It doesn't make rational sense. You know what? We're just going to refuse to study it. Like, I always thought that's such a reductive look at... But I guess it's like scientists in the med- medieval period, you know. Uh, sure, but then eventually the people who break you out of that pattern is are also scientists. So they're like, also scientists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. People's biases. Like change. Isaac Newton was just shy of a warlock, <laughs> and he also invented <laughs> calculus. But uh-huh. you know, um, Riley says, "Gentlemen, I for one believe that Ryan Condal." And team did a great job of keeping Hot D in the Game of Thrones universe, but at the same time making a stand on your own. But can we indulge in some crossover funsies? I'm curious to know what your thoughts are in some of the following scenarios. These are kind of fun. Would Ned have kept his oath to Queen or King Viserys and Princess Rhaenyra? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, he's the yeah. lealest in the land. I mean, there there yeah. is no one more leal than Ned Stark. Yeah, Starks are leal. They're infra-leal. Leal. You need you need special <laughs> equipment to see in that leal spectrum. Uh, the human eye can't detect it, and that's why nobody takes it seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, would Ned, uh, Would Bobby B have sold out for a marriage alliance? Bobby B have sold out for a marriage alliance. Sold out. What do you mean sold out? Well, my question is, is this before or after Lyanna Stark runs off with Vega, uh, uh, mm. Rhaegar? Because canonically, this breaks Robert Baratheon. Now, hmm. Ned privately is skeptical that his sister would ever have trucked with with Bob. But in his mind, that was the womb for him. That was his one true love. And like he never took the concept seriously. And the seriously thing was never anything more than an instrument of power and to kind of make night. He never wanted to be king. This is all a bunch of shit. So like post post Leanna death I think Bob Robert does whatever the fuck the hand tells him to do so he can go back to whoring and fucking and dying an early death <laughs> okay uh, would Averis been on team green or team black this Ooh. is an interesting question Varys Varys is worried about the good of the realm I could see him going to team green on this and then the only thing that would so the one thing that Varys hates above all else is black magic. Mm, okay. Because that's the one long standing like yeah. prejudice he has. Like people that <laughs> dabble in the dark arts and all that <laughs> shit. Like, yeah, like uh, this is fucking bullshit. And none of the team like I it's interesting to see where like Missaria will go. Because if she aligns the one like that would put Varys off and also mm. Helena like that, too. Like if, if if she kind of like turns into a more kind of witchy type of archetype that. But like, OK, he might. But the thing is, is also like if he looks at Aegon and he looks at Jaceris, I think he sees one king who is going to be an out and out disaster and one that looks like it'd be OK. And Rhaenyra is now I, I he might be team black just for the good of the realm but if the team green 
has got it all sewn up, he might go for that just to <laughs> right. spare the realm. Yeah, to avoid war. He he also changed his mind on Daenerys over the course of the series, right? He wasn't he one of the ones that was saying was like trying to influence her death, like get her killed earlier on. I can't remember. Whose death? Daenerys, Danny. Uh, yeah, he was trying to help. Yeah. Um, but there's like, there is like, you know, in the deep lore of the universe, there's this secret conspiracy theory where Varys and Illyrio are conspiring to put a Targaryen on the throne. Um, oh boy. The exact opposite. They have their own, like. they, they, they have their own scheme going that may or may not include Daenerys or might be able to switch to be Daenerys later. So like, yeah, but, but, uh, but they turn needs to finish his fucking books. But Varys turned around on that by the end of the series. Right. So I feel like sure. I'm not, I'm not certain where he'd end up at this stage, probably green. If I had to guess at this moment, since they've got like Kingsland, it looks like the Rainier is going to have to do war to win mm-hmm. to get it back, probably. But like before Viserys' death, I think he would back Rhaenyra and Jace over Aegon. But you know, possibly. Uh, finally, would a young Damon and young Tyrion be flea bottom bosom buddies? <laughs> I think Maybe. Damon and Tyrion would get along great. Yeah, and if Tyrion's a secret Targaryen, so much the better. Mm-hmm. They're dragon riding the li- together. The littlest dragon rider. Yeah, I think uh, I think they would get a kick out of each other for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. I would love to see those scenes. Yeah. It's essentially young. It's also a lot of young Jamie and young, young Ty- Tyrion. You know, it's like a lot of that same uh-huh. energy. Uh, okay. Finally, we have a dragon lore roundup, and this will be the last uh, uh, until I, I talk to Kim next week. Zeke says, I've been asking about dragons all season, and it's essentially why I'm watching this show and why I've watched Game of Thrones. I know the show will give uh, or make us make new canon up, but I want some speculation. Things we learned this season. Number one, uh, dragon eggs come out of steam and molten rock. Yep. Two, the dragon keepers are heavily involved in training and keeping, but who are they loyal to? Are they loyal to the family or the dragons themselves? Or are they Mm. loyal to a keep and castle like the maesters? Good what do question. you think, Jim? I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Damon conscripted them, which made it seem like, but there's also a bunch of them at the dragon pit. Mm-hmm. So unless they show us a scene where the dragon maester, the drag the, the, the dragon keepers essentially refuse to fight. Um, I guess they're more like the maesters where it's like, well, the dragons here on Dragonstone are loyal to the dragons of Dragonstone and the dragons mm-hmm. at the dragon pit will be loyal to. But like, you know, on this scale, this has never happened before where the house Targaryen just splits down the middle and goes to war. So this might be some untested stuff. What if you're a dragon trainer at King's Landing and your dragon decides to defect over to Team Black mm. and roost over at Dragonstone? Do you try and go to Dragonstone dragon itself to be with your dragon? dragon rider? No, no, the dragon itself just decides. Hey, I don't want to be oh. part of this. This yeah, uh, I, high tower. It seems battle. likely that each dragon would have a couple of dragon tr- uh, keepers that are kind of theirs. You know that they have. Mm-hmm. So like, I would think, and so. I would imagine if that dragon takes off, like, no, they wouldn't be allowed to leave. Uh, <laughs> right. So they just yeah. No longer be a dragon trainer or they help train the remaining dragons. It's hard to say because they're also very different from the books. Like in the books, the dragon uh, uh, keepers are like this elite 
group of warriors and is all black armor and they're significantly different than the more kind of like monk religious type monks uh of the series so i that's that's it's a, like a, that's a good ass question or something right you if if the animal that you've been keeping like let's say you keep pandas or something and a panda is like transferred over to a different zoo for whatever reason you don't go with the panda you're just like well i hope the next panda trainer uh caretaker is going to be as good as i was to it what about Star Trek Four? That lady followed George and Gracie into the 23rd century, man. Fair. That's a hell of a job transfer. Yeah. Yeah. No accounting for fantasy, I guess. For for time-traveling Klingon warships. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, speaking or singing in High Valerian is highly important. Is that all you need to know to be a dragon rider? Boy. Hmm. This is where, let's say you had German shepherds and they're exclusively bred and trained in Germany, so they'd only okay. respond to German commands. Then you take a you you take those German shepherds and you move them to America, and now the next generation of German German pups you teach in English. Mm-hmm. I think that's the situation we got right now, where it's like the the, the Targaryens for their own purposes have trained these dragons they understand high valerian and the only respond to high valerian but it's not clear to me that that's because dragons instinctually know high valerian or there's some kind of magical tie to old valeria there or if it's just the way they've been trained gotcha uh i wonder if the show will explore that and how if so if they only respond to high valerian how good does your accent have to be yeah if it's you supposed to be Dracaris and you say Dracaris, do they like, <laughs> come on, man. Come well, on. That's the case. Pronounce I, know it right, maybe. I know one thing. Masaria will never be a dragon rider <laughs> because she is incapable <laughs> of speaking. The French uh, and high Valerian languages do not. Yeah. The sense. common tongue. Like I'd like to see her takes on old Valeria. Uh-huh. It's like, what is this? It's like the dragons are like, does she have peanut butter in her mouth? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> I, yeah. So it's, 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 I, I, I'm doubtful. But we'll we'll see. Uh, for apparently, and he says, please debate. Any dragon rider can claim any dragon. What about Sea Smoke? What what's your take on this? Uh, boy, Sea Smoke. Refresh my memory. What's what? Sea so Smoke is Lanor's. Is he's up for grabs? He's Lanor's old dragon. Okay, he's a battle tested okay. dragon. Gotcha. Uh, my take is yes, that is true. You can just walk up to a dragon and claim it as long as the dragon is willing to be claimed by you. That's what the Vagar experience told me. Um, yeah, I, I so I, man, it, it, again, there's a lot of up for grabs. Like, was Vagar kind of charmed by the temerity of this kid going up and trying to claim her? Is she kind of like the way a big dog can kind of instinctively know to be gentle around babies? Uh, it's it's kind of like a situation like that where she's showing her this kid a lot more forbearance than she would like a big strapping guy who's, you know, going to come in their commander, this, that, and the other. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess um, the, the bigger question I would have is, can you claim someone else's dragon if they're still alive? Um, that would apply to sea smoke a, but B, could I walk up to Caraxes and go, Hey, Caraxes, I think I, I would be a lot better dragon rider for you than Damon is. Right. That's the uh, thing. How about you join my... How, how about you just abandon... Like, Can, can you seduce, seduce a dragon? A dragon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is an interesting angle about Sea Smoke, because we know that their rider is still alive. Uh-huh. Um, 
And that is going to be a very interesting because, again, the, the stuff is all very nebulous in the books. Uh, it's it's uh, Lenor is more much more unambiguously dead in the books. Um, I'm very curious to see how they kind of square the circle myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I understood that like you, you, there is, there is some ineffable quality that might be inheritable and genetic that makes you a dragon rider capable of riding a dragon, but not every dragon would submit to your will that there is still like, you have to be to claim certain dragons that are certain to be they're strong willed or like older and crankier. You need a more self-possessed and confident dragon rider. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you've also got the stories of like uh, four-year-old princesses smacking Balerion on the snout and telling him that he's a bad dragon and <laughs> Balerion kind of being cowed by that. So like, you never fucking know. You never fucking know. Like one mm-hmm. of Jaehaerys' kids did that, I believe. Nice. Uh, like essentially rolled up a newspaper and smacked Balerion on his snout to, to, because he, he got too cheeky with her. But um. Five, the dragons can sense the intention of their rider. We saw Damon and Rhaenys both were able to control, quote unquote, their dragons wordlessly. Caraxes is defending Damon on, uh, to multiple envoys. Melee is escaping the dragon pit. Uh, Lena with Vagar. Uh, there are words, you know, Dracarys, but still. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this, broadly speaking, yes. The dragon has some kind of simpatico. You know, I, I don't know what they're showing Cyrax screaming in the dragon pit across the way across the fucking city from Rhaenyra unless they're trying to explicitly say yes there is some kind of psychic link and they share each other's kind of grief and pain mm-hmm. uh, which also follows six the dragons can apparently feel the pain of their, their each uh, their rider yeah we, we definitely saw multiple examples of that uh, and then finally the Targaryen's could Targaryens have possibly some actual dragon blood in their bloodline? Uh, we've seen uh, children deformed to describe as dragon-like. Is there any 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 truth to the popular conception that the Valerians have literal dragon blood in their veins? I mean, maybe. Look, it's a fantasy world. Uh, a lot of things are possible, and I think they are definitely hinting at that possibility with the birth, uh, Rhaenyra's latest birth. Um, but they would have to make it a lot more explicit for me to go, okay, there's definitely like somebody has fucked a dragon in the past. Yeah. Yeah, And you got, you got, you got, let's so pure, pure, pure blood can go too far. Like you push through to the other side and like, oh, you got too much dragon blood. Now you got scaly wings and stubby tails and you're going to die at birth because you're too, Uh you're too much of a chimera. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Look, if this is a three-step Martin reveal, that birth was like the first step. And then maybe the second one will convince me. And if not, they'll need a third step if that's what they're trying to do. Can I say something as a final thought? Yeah. I hope they leave some dragon lore mysterious. Oh, because you had a whole continent of fa- of of of, of long standing traditions and magic practice and stuff to tame and breed and make these dragons an instrument of war. I find it highly unlikely that the Targaryens, a minor dragon lord house of 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 little renown, 
that fled the country and was so insignificant that none of the other Valerians uh, paused their political squabbling to go track down this this house that's that's fled and gone to this other backwater and exterminated them. I find it highly unlikely that they are the end all be all of dragon knowledge. And I think some things are just going to be yeah. lost. And that some things maybe even the dragon writers of Valeria didn't understand because, again, they took this so fucking far. They blew up their whole continent is what the <laughs> official story is. They, they wow. pushed this blood magic and this dragon magic to where all their volcanoes simultaneously erupted <laughs> into some kind of pyroclastic orgy of violence. So, like, did they fucking know what they're doing? I would say no. I want a lot of dragon lore to just yeah. be mysterious. And I know it's going to annoy a lot of you fucking nerds, but I like it when some <laughs> lore is mysterious and up for interpretation and is not mechan- mechanistic. And if they are going to give us a lot more of the details of how to train your dragon, I would love something along the lines of the Serio Aria training scenes. Like, and that's less likely now that Luke is out of the quest, out of the picture. Cause yeah, well, yeah, some, something that's like fun that that is more uh, lighthearted that explains to me like, okay, how do you train your dragon, right? Like, how do you how do you ride a dragon? How do you care for a dragon? Like, what are the details behind them? Just in in a more fun way because I did not feel like the Luke. Uh, I assume it was Araxes or, or Arax rather. Uh, scenes from earlier in the season were that thing that I was looking for. Mm, gotcha. Because I really enjoy that Aria Serio stuff. Um, yeah, no, I and I think there's definitely going to be new dragon riders are going to have to be trained. You know, they they kind of uh, set that concept up in this season with uh, Damon kind of going over to dragons and you know that they got yeah un- you can un- get their un- not only unclaimed dragons but dragons that have never been claimed. You know, we talk about the Gray Ghost mm-hmm. and Sheep Stealer and the Cannibal and. Like there's just they, a few that the the like writers that don't have dragons yet. Lena's like right. the only one I can really think of. Right. Um. All it's right. Joffrey. Well, that's that's what we got. Uh, are you talking about Reyna? That's the the daughter of Lena that hasn't got a dragon. Yes. As far as we know. Sorry, okay. <laughs> Reyna. Yes, the younger of the two. It'll happen. Valerian uh, grandchildren sisters. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like I said, as much as I'd like to give you answers to everything, we don't have the answers to everything. And I secretly hope we'd never get the answers. Damn. Dragons just become like, you know, divide D by T equals, you know, this. It's like, I I, I don't know. I don't know. That seems that seems in the antithesis of what we're supposed to understand about dragons, which they are mysterious and mercurial and mm-hmm. hard to control, even under the best circumstances. So. Uh, thank you for another great season. Uh, there will be one more wrap-up podcast. I'm going to have a conversation with my colleague, Kim Renfro. Uh, she writes for The Insider. She co-hosted with David Chin over on A Cast of Kings. She's fantastic. We're going to be talking about the impacts of the prophecy, um, what it's like co-hosting with a person that doesn't read the books, uh, her take on some of the other theories. There might be There might be a little bit more consciously spoilery thing at the end of that podcast because there's some things... I kind of want to talk to her book reader to book reader, uh, but we'll definitely clearly mark and talk about that. So you can shut off the podcast before we get there. That will be coming out sometime next week. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, it's been a great season. Uh, if this is the last time you listen to us again, follow us on twitter.com slash bald move to keep up with what we're, we're doing. There's a lot of cool things uh, we've got. There's a you know a lot of stuff I'm co- that's coming out in 2023 that I'm very excited for. Uh, we talked about that on previous podcasts, uh, but you want to follow us on Twitter if you want to keep up with what we're doing at Bald Move. 
Uh, and yeah, a lot of people have joined us in the club. Uh, if you want in on our Christmas celebrations, in particular, if you're in the United States and you want a physical Christmas card from me and Jim, you got to be uh, part of the club before Thanksgiving. Uh, you can, uh, the, uh, and, and also if you're not in the, the America, if you're not in the America, not in the United <laughs> States, I almost said the Americas, but like, no, 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 no. We're also, we, we can't afford to ship to South and Central America at this sure. scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not in America, you will re- and you're in a club member, you will receive a digital card, a high res digital copy that you can print out and, and hang up, uh, however you wanted to display it. Um. But yeah, you got to be you got to be in the club by Thanksgiving. Uh, support.baldmove.com if you want to get in on that. Otherwise, yeah, we we'll look forward to seeing you guys back for season two and, or back for our conversation with Kim next week and uh, with Maester Anthony going into Clash of Kings. Again, it's been a great season. Uh, glad to have you all with us. We'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>